the midpoint of the season is a pretty good time to take stock in performance for teams. It's no different here at Sharp Football Analysis, where we're thrilled to tell you that we are 45 and 25, 64% year to date on all betting recommendations. We are 27 and 12, 69% on all totals, and 17 and 5, 77% on all computer totals. Combine that with our success and unparalleled work in fantasy analysis and props, and you've got the per- perfect package. Don't miss out on the second half of the season. Use discount code SHARP25 for 25% off weekly and monthly packages today. That's SHARP25 and sharpfootballanalysis.com. Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here as always, Rich Rebar, TA, the team over here at Sharp Football Analysis. Guys, week 10. We're making it double digits. How are we doing today? Do it great, man. I'm excited because this weekend, because the the Masters has moved to this weekend, we've got this great, unique five game split at one o'clock, six games at four o'clock. It's kind of our our dream, what we've always begged for on a regular week. And we've got this nice, great split. It's only probably gonna be for one week, but uh, I'm excited that these games are split up uh, the way they are this weekend. Oh, it's awesome. And I'm, uh, I'm a huge golf guy. If you follow me on Twitter, I, uh, I give out a bunch of golf picks uh, for, for the, uh, you know, for the big tournaments. So I'll be uh, following uh, all weekend long. And yeah, if we can get the, the, the good part is the master should end the final round should end by three, three thirty. That's the goal. So we'll uh, have a night, hopefully a good final round and then roll right into the, the four o'clock games. And so, yeah, the, if you look at the one o'clock matchups, you know, not really the sexiest matchups, uh, Jags, Pack, uh, Packers, and uh, Washington and Detroit, Browns, Texans, you know, Tampa and uh, Carolina is actually a pretty solid game. But otherwise, I think the best games are uh, definitely being saved for the four o'clock hours. So uh, don't you shade be... Dan's Giants. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about Dan's Giants. They're covering every week. It's unbelievable, yeah. this team. So, uh, <laughs> no, that's uh, it's. I, I could literally watch any game on a Sunday, so that's not a problem. But uh, the fact that I think the better games are probably at four o'clock, you know, uh, work out nicely. And let's see if this thing uh, works out well. Hopefully, they going forward, we'll see a little bit more of a one o'clock, four p.m. split uh, than we normally see because having two or three games at four p.m. just usually usually is depressing at that time of uh, time of day. So uh, hopefully, we'll see it going forward. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. It's- the way I watch football, I kind of like the three games. I, I know that's, you know, no one, no one says that, but I kind of like the, the late, late slate being kind of uh, I just need four games. Being small. Yeah. Games. All right. Four games. Four games can oh. work. Yeah. But just the way I, I work and the way I'm, I'm watching games and, and taking notes, it, it's kind of nice to slow down a little bit at four o'clock and kind of know what happened in the one o'clock games sometimes and and have that slow down especially as i'm you know getting ready to write first and ten uh all night sunday night uh so having that little time to to start to figure out what what happened in the one o'clock games and uh i'm I'm a little worried this week it's going to kind of be like the the week one just like over simulation of of trying to figure out what games are on and, and what to watch uh, so, so we'll see, but it, yeah, it is exciting that there are, we do have split and, and we do have, we do have some good games we have some, uh, some, some, I think what we're seeing right now is kind of the home field advantage just, it doesn't matter anymore. So it, it doesn't really matter who is, um, you know, who is on the road and, and who is home in some of these matchups, because it's just really the strength of teams is what, what matters. And I think, uh, it's, yeah, you've been looking into some of that stuff and that's really come through with, with betting that hasn't really um, you know, caught up to with a realistic, um, you know, of how home field advantage is actually playing out right now. Yeah. And I thought going into the year, everyone talked about, well, what's the difference, uh, you know, what, how, what are no fans going to, how's that going to make a difference uh, going forward? And, you know, it's been every, kind of anyone's guess, but what we've seen play out, like you said, is um, road teams are, are playing very well. So essentially there is no home field advantage right now. I mean, um, if you look, uh, essentially uh, road teams and home teams have split straight up. Um, and it's like a one point, I think home teams have a one point margin uh, exactly on the dot for the season um, straight up, which you normally don't see. I mean, put in perspective. Um, so road teams this year are 71 and 62 against a spread. Um, and, you know, typically you see closer to 50% splits between uh, home and road teams. Uh, but as I mentioned, 67 and 66 straight up and a one point margin to the home teams this season. Uh, last year, 
uh, road teams were only 124, 136 straight up. And then two years ago, it was 104 and 157 uh, in 2018. So home teams have all, you know, almost always have a, um, a lead when it comes to just straight up margin. So to, to be essentially right at 500, you know, shows you that the, the, the road teams are, are playing well. Um, and if you look specifically, um, road underdogs are really killing it. I mean, um, you know, underdogs in general are hitting at 58%, but road underdogs, and if you look at kind of the uh, seven points, or sorry, less than seven points, so essentially more competitive games, uh, they're 37 and 19 against the spread. So they're hitting at 66%. Uh, and 28 and 27 straight up. So you're, if you put a hundred bucks or 10 bucks on every uh, road money line underdog who's getting less than seven points, you have a, a huge, huge ROI, like seven times your money. Um, so we're, we're seeing just tremendous amount of covering from these uh, shorter uh, road dogs. And I looked at, you know, if you want to look at a subset of those road dogs, so kind of six points or less and where the totals are under 45 points. So we're talking about, Games expected to be uh, close and low scoring. So, uh, these road underdogs are 10 and 0 against the spread. So um, just keep that in mind. I mean, that's not, I'm not sure how predictive that is going forward, but keep that in mind when you're looking at uh, home field versus road, road teams. And, you know, I'm not sure unless there's like a huge rest advantage um, or a huge, um, you know, travel advantage, I don't think you can really give any home team right now any sort of advantage i think you just kind of play it straight up and say who you know just match up the two teams and and you know kind of leave it at that and go go with whoever you think has the you know the, is a better team not necessarily uh who the who the home and road team is so i think it'll be interesting going forward if this holds up yeah and i think one of the you know definitely what's going on this year has played into it uh but also i was looking uh aaron shots uh football outsiders yesterday uh, posted offensive dvoa ratings for home teams over the past five seasons um and it's about you know three and a half uh three to three and a half over you know 2016 2017 2018 that just means you know teams are three and a half or three and a half percentage points better than you would you know expect an average team to be but in 2019 that dropped to 0.1 percent uh and then this year it's negative 0.6 percent so some of that home field advantage started dropping last year so i think when you combine with with some of the other things like warren has mentioned this a lot some of you know teams are better at at traveling they're better at you know figuring out their travel and and things like that and and things that in the past had brought down some of you know put these road teams at the disadvantage they're not as big of a disadvantage anymore And, and now this year i think we're seeing the compounding of um, teams being smarter about it, and then you know, a lot of things that have just been eliminated this year, like like the fans and and all of those other things, and that that's really brought into the just non-existent home field advantage uh, this year, and that's definitely something to watch for for the rest of this season going into uh, 2021 to see uh, if that bounces back or if it's just you know just not going to be a thing anymore. Uh, and I think that's super interesting, especially when we're you know talking about the some of the betting lines like like we are here um so uh, if we're going to do that let's let's dive in uh uh as interesting as the um you know, thursday night game is we probably let's not talk about it that much of those it's colts titans right now for, uh, for drafting sportsbook uh colts minus one at tennessee so that, that's another thing we're already seeing uh you know a one is is you know a, not a, a huge number uh but we're, we're seeing a, a a road favorite there um in in a closely contentious closely contested divisional matchup. Um, so uh, that's interesting, but let, let's move on to the, the, the Sunday games. Um, and like you guys said, we're, we're seeing all, most of these games are more exciting uh, in the late afternoon, but I, I think we'll, we'll highlight the, the, the top one right now um, in, in that early afternoon slate it is Tampa Bay and Carolina. I think right now I'm looking at it as five and a half um, for Tampa Bay. Uh, we had this conversation last week about whether Tampa Bay was uh, the best team in the NFC. They followed up a, uh, uh, a not great game against the Giants by completely getting blown out by uh, the New Orleans Saints. So uh, what, did, what is our take on uh, what Tampa Bay is doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I could jump in first because uh, this is uh, probably my favorite game of the week of betting side. I already bet Tampa minus four and a half uh, early yesterday. 
Um, I think it's gone up to five and a half and six in some spots. Um, I think it's probably with the news that Christian McCaffrey is out, although, you know, I'm not sure how much, again, how much of a difference he makes, especially against a Tampa team that has historically done very well shutting him down. I mean, they do very well against running backs out of the backfield in general. And then, you know, they're the best team in the NFL stopping the run. So I'm not sure that's a huge factor. And I didn't really factor into my decision to take Tampa at all, but um, I guess, you know, doesn't hurt because he's obviously a game breaker, but I love backing teams like Tampa, good teams off a, uh, an embarrassing performance on national TV. You know, I was actually on the saints last week and uh, Rich, we, we talked about it. We kind of looked at each other like, why is this line so high? Like, we didn't understand it. Um, you know, expected we... 31, 31 nothing halftime lead, but yeah, we were, <laughs> we were definitely Yeah, I saying. didn't predict that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so, but we both looked at each other like, like, are we missing something here? So um, I thought that was kind of an odd line anyway, and maybe Tampa's, uh, you know, was overvalued last week. But I think at this, this is a good spot for them. So it's clearly a bounce back spot. And historically, again, you can um, kind of scoff at some of these trends with Tom Brady when he was in New England. You know, this could be more of a Bill Belichick thing. I'm not sure. But, you know, since 2003, okay, so in the last 17 years, he, he started a game where his team has lost by double digits 20 times. In the next game, he is 18-2 and two straight up. Uh, and he's um, – or sorry, 18 and two straight up 17 and three against the spread with an average margin of victory of close to 14 points. Okay. And in his career off an L off a loss in general, when he's uh, favored by seven or less the next week, 24 and three against the spread the next week. So you can see he clearly is good in these bounce back situations. I can totally um, imagine him just this week in the locker room being, you know, real serious, making sure all the guys are, um, you know, walking the straight line and, you know, I can't see him um, struggling again here. I mean, look, I, I talked about it in our injury report. Ellie Marpet lose, uh, being out last week was huge. I mean, he, he's one of the top five guards, according to Pro Football Focus. He had not allowed a sack all seasons. And in fact, the Tampa offensive line, the starters, I think had played all but about 11 snaps on the season. I mean, remarkably healthy. So him being out was a major issue. His backup, Joe Haig, um, allowed eight pressures. Um, as a team, they allowed 30 pressures, three sacks, and eight hurries on 50 dropbacks. Like, and you rush Tom Brady up the middle, that's where he's susceptible. You, know, you, you get pressure in his face, and they did that all game long. And, look, it doesn't help that they, they never ran the ball. Look, we like to talk about uh, throwing uh, early and often. You know, that's a way to win games. But, you know, at some level, you have to be able to, to, to run the ball a little bit and take pressure off a, a, a line that's getting destroyed like that. So I think they'll, they'll be a little bit more balanced or at least more balanced that, um, you know, will will be more effective here. Uh, they get uh, Marpet should come back. I know he practiced on a limited basis yesterday, so we'll, we'll pay attention to the injury report, but it doesn't, it's not really a worry against a Panthers team that get, gets no pressure at all um, and plays that zone defense. I think Tom Brady will be very effective against that zone um, against that soft uh, uh the coverage. So uh, to me, this is a, a perfect spot in a bounce back situation, um, you know, uh, in a place where, you know, he should not be able to get any pressure on him at all. He'll have all his weapons now. I mean, we'll see what they do with Antonio Brown, if they try to force feed him or not, but you know, they'll get, hopefully get Gronk on the field a little bit more. And I think that they'll, uh, they'll bounce back here with a, with a, a nice victory. And look, it's always, tough to go up against Teddy in Carolina I was on Carolina last week against the chiefs and they almost won that outright. But um, you know, similar to what we saw in week two here where Tampa lost against the saints, it came back and, and, you know, pretty much blew out Carolina. They're up 21 uh, in the third quarter and, and let them come back. Uh, but they did end up covering uh, against Carolina. And I think I could see a similar situation here. So I'll be on Tampa here uh, first and foremost. Yeah. It just comes down with Brady is it's, it's that pressure. I mean, they, the, he was pressured over 50% of his dropbacks last week. And we've, it, this is a, not just a, a new development with Brady. I mean, he was one of the most pressure-sensitive quarterbacks last year as well. It's just when he doesn't get – he's just not under pressure a lot. I am curious on the other side, too. Obviously, you know, you, you brought up Teddy, and, you know, everyone's talked about how he's, you know, the best quarterback at covering. And uh, div- divisional home dogs have been amazing so far this year. They're 12-2 and two against the spread. Uh, interesting – thing about those games is that their games those games are 10 and 4 towards the over as well uh so the, those teams have put up a fight we had a, a bunch of covers again last week I know no one really wants to bet the Bears or Giants but they're also in that boat this week with Carolina uh if you if you think that you know either Carolina can cover or that game can go over uh those things kind of fit out there I bet that Giants uh 
the Eagles over earlier in the season on Thursday night, and it should have gotten there and did it. So I'm a little jaded to going back to the well this week. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it just comes down to that pressure, though, with Brady. And, and you have a team at Carolina that's just really, really nondescript at getting pressure. They don't really blitz. Uh, they don't get home. So, I mean, it, it really suited up well for him. They're going to be able to run the football. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Chiefs didn't try to run the football, and they didn't have to uh, last week. Uh, but you, you can run on Carolina, too, as well, which fits kind of what the Bucks can really kind of get back to. Uh, they've actually been really bad running the football this season, though, which is interesting in totality. Only the Bears are worse than the, the Buccaneers at, you know, generating, you know, carries of five or more yards, you know, per rushing attempt. Uh, so they're going to have to get going, get that kind of working the, the, the back half of the season as well. And we don't know if Marfitt's going to be back. Uh, but it, it definitely intriguing game overall. I think that when you look at the Bucks too, and what the Saints did to them, might be a blueprint we see going forward. We'll see if it's a copy copycat league. You know, tend to take that. So the the Bucks are really all about bringing pressure and you know exotic blitzes. Those guys, as it, without blitzes, those guys don't get home a lot. You know, the JPPs of the world. Uh, you know, but in the Saints just bled them with quick passing. And, and it's going to be interesting to see if someone like, cause Teddy's capable of doing that. See if a guy like Curtis Samuel kind of keeps his hot streak going. Cause where he's getting the balls near the line of scrimmage on these short, quick passes. And that's kind of where the saints just butchered them last week. All those blitzes can't get home. Uh, you know, when you're just getting quick, quick pass death. Uh, so we'll see if any teams kind of adapt that, you know, against the the Bucks kind of moving forward as kind of a blueprint to kind of slow them down. Uh, Daniel Jones had plenty of shots on that Monday night game the week before too uh, to kind of exploit them and did it. So uh, we'll see if, you know, teams kind of approached attacking the Bucks going forward uh, in a similar capacity to what the Saints did. But it's a lot harder when you have an intermediate assassin like Drew Brees uh, copying that with other guys. Well, I will say one thing with Teddy is um... – He's not good against pressure, at least this year. He's 26 in QB rating, 20th in yards per attempt. Um, so, and Tampa's number one in pressure rate, like you said. So, um, you know, he's another guy who needs to be comfortable uh, in the pocket. So, um, we'll see how he uh, how he reacts to the uh, to the pressure from Tampa this week. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's, it's kind of a, a chicken and the egg thing with how the Tampa defense went against the the Saints offense because I think they kind of knew. Uh, in their heads that, you know, Drew Brees is not going to be the guy who's going to be staying in the pocket long. Mm -hmm. So even early in the game, they kind of brought back the blitz. They kind of stepped off the blitz uh, a little bit. Uh, and and they played a, a lot more zone than, than they had been um, in, in the past. So I think what, what we've talked about is, you know, Tampa is this uh, high blitz defense that, that'll play man coverage on the back end to uh, – to to cover up for those blitzes but against breeze i think they were kind of a, a little scared of getting the ball out quickly and not getting home so they didn't blitz as much and then drew breeze was able to get the ball out quickly so it, it kind of was was a back and forth there so i wonder if they're going to be as scared um as as they were or, or even worried or scared they probably i'm not going to say uh an nfl team was, was scared of that and, and they played scared but i think they they might have a little bit and i think they kind of got off of what they do i think they'll they will probably get back to that they will blitz a little more even though tampa bay is or sorry at, at carolina is going to be that that quick strike offense you know teddy bridgewater is going to get the ball out quickly that that's where robbie anderson has lived that's where they're getting the ball to, to curtis samuel more uh so i, I think they are going to to bring that in because I don't think they're scared of guys who are going to, you know, beat them one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know if there's, you know, enough double moves in the Carolina Panthers offense that can, you know, take advantage of Jamel Dean, um, which has happened. But Jamel Dean has still been, uh, you know, a pretty good corner. He's just, he's an aggressive guy, like kind of the rest of the, the Tampa Bay defense. So you can kind of get him on some of those double moves. That's that's what's been happening. That kind of what happened in, in the Giants game. The Giants just couldn't really take advantage of that. It happened a little more often in the Saints game. So we'll see. But I think one thing um, – really looking at it for Carolina. And I think we kind of saw it in, in the Kansas city game was the, how aggressive they're just being overall, knowing they are the underdog, knowing they don't really have the talent to match up with some of these teams They're you know, they had that fake punt uh, against uh, Kansas city. Uh, they're being aggressive on and fourth down that they're really doing things that put them in uh, an advantageous place to kind of get any type of edge uh, they can against these better teams and against someone like the chiefs, you just, you have to hit on, on everything. And, and they had one drive where uh, in the second half where they punted um, and it was in a, a, a set, a, a series of plays where uh, Kansas city had scored three touchdowns in a row. Um, it, Carolina came back with, with two touchdowns, but their first one being a punt is kind of what, what set them back. So against the 
team like the Chiefs, you, you have to be perfect when you're doing that. And they were just a little off from perfect. So kind of everything has to break right. But I think when you see what they're going to be doing against Tampa, I think they're going to continue to kind of set those set those edges and give themselves the advantage of, of being as close uh, as they can to, to hanging with those teams. So I think I, I see a... a, a it could be a close game here because I think Carolina has just done a really good job of, of knowing what they are and, and not trying to do too much, but also knowing what they can do um, to bring them closer to some of these teams. So that, that's going to be a really fun game to watch. Uh, let's uh, continue moving on here. Uh, what, what other games are you guys looking for um, as, we, as we look at this slate? And again, it's definitely late afternoon heavy. Anything, anything in the back end looks really good here. We've got a, a plethora of four o'clock games that look good. Uh, you know, Buffalo, Arizona, Seattle Rams, uh, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, uh, the, the Herbert versus Tua, you know, kind of that, you know, dilemma, you know, of where the Dolphins going to take him. Uh, you know, were they, were the Dolphins thinking about taking Herbert or, you know, was Tua always their guy? They're going to go heads up, which is fun. I thought Tua looked really great last week. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we just kind of dovetail into that game. So I'm sure someone has an Anthony Lynn rant dialed in. Oh, I was going to uh, say, can we talk about Anthony Lynn? Yeah, so, like, so we'll tee you is... up there. We'll, we'll tee you up with a little Anthony Lynn uh, rant. But I think if the first game we talked about it, it was hard to get a grasp on what Tua was the first start because of just the way the game that game script played out uh, with the two, def- you know, with the, the defensive touchdown, the punt return, and the fumble inside the 10. They're up 21 points early. They don't really – they didn't really ask Tua to do anything. He was more of a caretaker. Last week he had to kind of – you know, they had to use him as a you – know, to, to punch back, and I thought that he, you know, in his first, like, start where he actually, you know, played uh, a back-and-forth game, you know, definitely played the part. Uh, and with limited weaponry, I mean, Preston Williams gets knocked out of the game. He's throwing touchdowns to, to Mac Hollins. Uh, no running backs to speak of. Salvan Ahmed is leading the team in snaps. So, I mean, and, and Tua's escapability – was a big plus last week. I think people forget how athletic he actually is because we just didn't get to see it. Uh, and, you know, the, he had he had a couple uh, escapes uh, for, for positive yardage that were just really, you know, backbreaking for the Cardinals defense, another team that likes the blitz a lot. Uh, and this Chargers defense has really started to kind of wane here as the season's gone on. They started the year playing pretty well. Uh, you know, they play that, you know, the, the, that cover three zone defense, and it's they just have not played well the past couple weeks, especially late in games uh, in, against Derek Carr and Drew Locke the past two weeks. So, I mean, that's a game that, that looks like a lot of fun. Uh, and, and Herbert's just been so sensational so far. I mean, it's he, through seven starts, he's been incredible um, as long as Anthony Lynn hasn't gotten in his way. So I'll let you go in and rant on Anthony Lynn, uh, the most frustrating head coach in the NFL. Herbert's going to save his job, by the way. Anyway, so every week, you know, I feel like it's an Anthony Lynn um, rant. Um, you know, he, he Warren did a good job of describing it uh, on Twitter. It's like between the clock management and timeouts and just, you know, we thought he solved the issue of, you know, he was running way too much on, on early downs when Herbert was um, starting off. And, you know, he finally uh, turned that around and corrected that. So that's good. He got more aggressive, but just he has no idea, no um, ability to, to, to recognize, you know, uh, when to call timeout, um, this, the pace of, of, uh, of play calling. I mean, what happened before the half? So I was on the first half over in that game. And so I needed a touchdown from, uh, from the Chargers. And, you know, it was like a minute and 30 seconds or so. And they were at about the 45-yard line. And it was second and 19. And you would think, okay, like, let's, you know, we need to get a big chunk here to at least be in field goal range. And so what does he do on second and 19? He runs the ball. It's just like, and he gets, they got like four yards out of the deal. Clock was running and I'm just sitting here pulling my hair out. And he got bailed out because Justin Herbert, you know, stepped up and found, I think it was Mike Williams for uh, about 16, 17 yards. And they got a first down, but again, they just, it was a snail's pace. They were crawling. They just were, were running terrible plays and they got lucky because Keenan Allen caught a touchdown to end the half, but he was wide open. The defender slipped. So he got bailed out there, but, you know, you're calling a fade, two straight fades uh, at the goal line to win a game. Like we, I mean, Dan, I mean, how upset or I mean, how, how sick were you to your stomach when you saw two fades in a row to end the game? I mean, I know we've talked about this and you've, I know you've highlighted just the, the, the fade. I mean, just, 
I don't understand why fades are such prevalence or so prevalent in the NFL. I don't understand like what people, is it just because they feel like that just reduces the amount of interceptions or, or, or negative plays that it's kind of an all or nothing. I, I don't understand. Yeah. What. Yeah. That, that's pretty much it. Um, and, and you can see why a conservative coach like Anthony Lynn would love a fade where, you know, the, the thing about it is the, uh, the amount of bad that can come from it is is limited. Um, but the other thing there is at the end of game situation, who cares about the bad? If, if you're throwing yeah. an interception there, the, the thought of trying to limit an interception when you have three seconds left on the clock and you're trying to score a touchdown, an interception means absolutely nothing. An interception and an incompletion are the same thing. So to be throwing the fade there, uh, where you know the, the one thing where you can kind of say, oh, well, we're not going to throw an interception there, and that's why you might throw it on like a, a you know a, a second and goal in the second quarter. Sure, it's still a bad decision, uh, but you can you know have that the reasoning of where we're trying to you know limit. Uh, the, the downside, but you want to maximize the upside when you're trying to score the game-winning touchdown uh, with no time left on the clock. So yeah, and to, to go two fades in a row, uh, especially after Mike Williams is out, sure, if you want to throw the second fade to Mike Williams, fine, because Mike Williams has never made a normal catch uh, in his career. Uh, so if you want to try to have the Mike Williams thing, but once he's out, I don't know what they're doing on that second one, especially when you have you know Keenan Allen on the field. Run a little like whip route or something to to Keenan Allen. Just run a slant. Uh, I wrote about this last year. Slants are significantly more valuable at the goal line than fades. They have a higher touchdown rate. They have a lower interception rate. Also, so and there was just so many things uh, went wrong there. We can, you know, go on for <laughs> 10 minutes about why uh, why fades are bad, especially in a late game situation like that. Um, but it, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it, it's continual just decisions like that. It, it's the small things that continue to just build on top of each other of why the Chargers are, are losing these games. And, and it's just been, you know, it's been a thing that's been happening with the Chargers forever. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, all of this conservative decision-making, just one after another, uh, just leads to all of these big leads or just takes away their opportunity to come back in these games. You saw it happened with Denver when they started playing a little back more. And uh, Drew Locke, who like, has barely completed a deep pass all year, um, just went uh, crazy. Uh, and then I mean, we saw that against with, with Derek Carr, too. And they were able to to move the ball down the field. So yeah, the, the Chargers are are incredibly frustrating. Uh, if it wasn't for Justin Herbert being able to you know throw seventy yards, um, you know, a pinpoint on a dime, I, they they'd probably be one of the worst teams in, in the league right now. I think. What's amazing is they are minus eleven in point differential and two and six. You know how hard that is to do. I mean, that, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, and, but that's that's been a Chargers thing. You look at point differential and win expectancy <laughs> every year for the past like four years. Uh, they are you know have the highest um, rate of wins below expectation, and it's yeah. just it's it's the same thing with the Chargers all, all the time. And it's just and everybody it's not wanted changing. To, and everybody wanted to blame Philip Rivers the last few years. And I'm thinking I'm sitting back saying like it's Anthony Lynn like it, he. He, he makes – it's like he intentionally wants close games because, like you said, when they're up big in Denver, they got really conservative. They played prevent. They, you know, they, they lost a lead. And, you know, it's just like everything he does is just to, to, to keep games close. And I don't know why because he never has a good field goal kicker and he never has uh, – it doesn't have, uh, call the right plays at the end of the game. So it's just really frustrating. I will say that from a betting perspective, you know, I kind of like them against Miami. I haven't pulled the trigger yet. They're, at, they're getting two and a half – in Miami, um, I honestly just tease the Chargers to eight and a half. I mean, I feel like because all they do is play close games, right? It, yeah. You're gonna you get through the three and the seven. It's like, all right, they're not gonna get blown out because they have too much talent um, to get blown out. And Miami's not, you know, typically not one of those teams that are gonna blow you out get with a rookie quarterback. So pair well, them up. Miami's another. eventually got to stop scoring a defensive touchdown every yeah. game. <laughs> That's the other thing. I, I was on Arizona last week. I was on the Rams two weeks ago, and I'm just pulling my hair out. Like, look, you get credit for, for your schemes and for, you know, producing pressure and these things. But, yeah, that, that luck is going to run out at some point. Um, and then I had to deal with Cliff Kingsbury and his decision-making. I, I could go – we should have an entire podcast on these coaches and their decision-making. <laughs> 
kicking field goals on fourth and ones, you know, from 47 yards away. Like when you have Kyler Murray. Um, we made a running, lot. Like uh, the Cowboys did. Cowboys game oh, had a. Mike McCarthy's uh, a coward. I put that on Twitter. He deserves. I mean, you've got a six, like a six four quarterback and Garrett Gilbert. And you can just run a quarterback sneak on fourth and inches. You're you're two and six. You're you're a 14 point underdog and you're kicking field goals. I, I don't. I just don't understand it. But anyway, that's a long, uh, long diatribe. But I think the Chargers game will be fun because they keep every game close and interesting. And so tease the Chargers and find another, uh, six, you know, add six points to another side. And I think that's your best teaser bet of the week, to be honest. Yeah. yeah look it, at some of those teams that run pure and, uh, you know, not the, I, 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 I tongue in cheek was joking. Yeah. I wanted to try to talk you into the Bengals at seven and a half. And uh, the Steelers are another one of these teams that like, they're just running pure. Like they're getting all the, the, the high variance plays are, are shaking out in their direction. And eventually there's just going to be a week where that doesn't happen. Uh, and it happened again last week and it happened the week before against the Ravens. Uh, and it happened against the Titans when the Titans stormed back and then missed the field goal at the end of the game. Uh you know, did, I just look at this Bengals team and it's, you know, they just, they haven't gotten blown out the, outside of the Ravens game, you know, backdoor burrow is what I've just kind of referred to him as now. I just feel like the, those points are, it's too much, man. It's seven and a half. Uh, you're getting a full touchdown. Ben is still like kind of Ben and burrow are doing the same things. Like both guys have struggled vertically uh, in the vertical game. So, I mean, it's not like the Steelers are going to probably hit a bunch of big plays. The Steelers defense has also been high variance. They've, they've been good on first and second down and then just awful on third down so far this year. And they give up huge plays. Uh, only the Bengals have given up a higher rate of completions of 20 or more yards than the Steelers. So there's some chance for Burrow to make some plays here uh, in this game. You know, a lot of people worried about their offensive line, you know, before the bye. And then Burrow has a game where he, get, he takes the least amount of hits that he took in a game. Granted, it was against the Titans. You can't pressure anybody and fired Vic Beasley, <laughs> you know, the, the past two weeks. Uh, but I do like the Bengals, man. Uh, I just feel like the points are too high because the Steelers are 8-0 and and you are what your record are. But like a, a lot of high variance plays have gone in the Steelers direction this front half of the season. And eventually like that's going to run out. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Pittsburgh's offense isn't that good. I mean, the 15th in DVOA, they're 22nd running the ball, 16th throwing the ball. I don't, uh, I haven't been impressed by them. I mean, all, all we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, all Ben's doing is just quickly give it, you know, throwing it out to, to his receivers and having them make, make all the plays. But, you know, uh, that's not a really, consi- I don't think you can win that way consistently, uh, or at least win a Super Bowl uh, that way. And typically teams that are, you know, have, have won the Super Bowl the last handful of years have been really, really high powered offenses. So, um, you know, I'm not sure this is, I know their defense, or at least their pass rush is really good. I'm not sure they can uh, extend this out to a Super Bowl, uh, just the way they're playing. And, you know, I, I think that I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I like the fact that the Bengals are getting over a touchdown. They are kind of the backdoor monster. I mean, Joe Burrow is like the scariest guy to go up against. <laughs> if you're betting against him uh, and you're laying a bunch of points because he just makes plays, you know, either with his arm or his feet. So, um, you know, I do agree with you that, um, it's probably the right play. The only thing that bothers me is that, you know, Pittsburgh just came off a scare against a really bad team. So, and that's, that's their standard letdown yep, spot is, is on the road. <laughs> yeah. Tomlin on the road as a big favorite, just like against sub 500 teams. And by the way, that under hit again. So just like clockwork, we've talked, we talked about a week one, I believe when he went up, uh, you know, to the giants on that Monday, on that Monday night. So the only issue would be like, all right, that, that was their scare. So now they'll, they'll be um, uh, totally focused, but I think from a pure matchup perspective, uh, you know, I would tend to agree uh, that Cincinnati has a shot here. They, you know, maybe dabble on the money line, uh, Rich. I mean, that might not be, we talked about the road underdogs winning, you know, almost 500. I mean, this could be a, I wouldn't take Pittsburgh in a survivor pool. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad you guys brought this up because I kind of have the feeling of on this game too, especially after, you know, I just wrote about Joe Burrow. Uh, yesterday uh, for Sharp Football Analysis, kind of diving into his deep ball and whether, you know, it it hasn't been good and and whether it's going to be a problem. But I think kind of after watching all of his deep attempts, it's it's starting to come around. And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. Part of what they've been doing is they've been – putting in a little more, a couple more back shoulder throws uh, to get some of that timing down. So, so they're getting some of these uh, chunk plays now. And they had that really nice, uh, like 67 yard play to, um, 
to T. Higgins. Uh, that was really like the first deep ball uh, Joe Burrow completed last year or this year. Um, and, you know, Pittsburgh is 32nd in DVOA uh, against the deep pass. So if something is going to click, I think that might be able to. And you look at like what he did against the Titans. There was so that that scramble drill he had um, where he you know ran out of the pocket, found T. Higgins on the sideline. I just like refuse to believe a quarterback who has that in his arsenal isn't going to be able to, you know, figure out the touch on, on a deep pass where he's leading a receiver. Um, so just if you are able to go back, it's, it's in my article. If you find that pass where uh, he comes out of the pocket to the right, just hits T Higgins with zero margin of error down the sideline. It was only about 26 yards, but um, it's, it's an insane throw. So it's just a quarterback like that. I have, I have to have the feeling he's going to be able to complete some more deep balls uh, over uh, the course of the season. I think that kind of matches up really well against what the Steelers have not been doing well. Um, and it, it kind of surprised me with Burrow. Um, his his A dot, his average at the target is still uh, about middle of the pack. Um, so even though we do think of him as, you know, being an empty so often and getting the ball out quickly, um, it, it's not that there's there, there are these, you know, three and four yard passes. It's not Ben Roethlisberger. He's actually pushing the ball down the field a lot more and he's killing it in the intermediate area in the 11 to 19 air yards. He's already one of the most efficient quarterbacks there. So uh, I think that it's a super interesting matchup that I, the, I, I don't think it, it's going to be a, a blowout, um, but we probably spent too much time on, on Steelers Bengals <laughs> um, we can get to a more interesting game. One game I, I do want to talk about that's super interesting with, with teams that we still, I'm not sure if we've completely figured out uh, the bills and Cardinals. Um, as a team with the Bills, we were kind of starting to get down on them, and then they, you know, blow out the, the, the Seahawks with, you know, we know the Seahawks uh, cannot stop the pass. We know they can stop the run. So all we're going to do is pass and we're not going to run at all. So we, at least we know the bills, you know, they know what they're doing. They are well coached. Um, and it, it looks like they just, you know, had a good game plan. They were able to execute it. Josh Allen looked, you know, about as good as he did in, in the first four weeks of the season. Uh, the Cardinals are coming off that game uh, against Miami where uh, they lost, but you know, they looked really good. Kyler was definitely the better quarterback there. They, they started to have a plan. It looked like they made some in-game adjustments. We're talking about some of those Miami blitzes and and the and the touchdowns they've scored. The, you know the the touchdown again uh, on defense was against. Arizona's empty protection uh, where they, you know, line six guys up, they drop two, but you know, there's usually still a free rusher because of the, you know, the offensive line protection rules. Um, And then, you know, throughout the game, Arizona kind of, you know, figured that out. Um, They were running Kyler Murray more on some, on some, you know, quarterback draws against that look from empty. Uh, they had one play where they had the center pull um, against that look, and that was the um, the deep touchdown to Christian Kirk. So they had some some good answers for that. So I'm very interested to see what they're going to do against Buffalo, who, you know, they're they're hit and miss uh, with the pass rush. Their their coverage has also been hit and miss. The, the defense hasn't been great this year. You know, Tre'Davious White has been okay. He had, you know, his best game of the season, um, hanging with DK Metcalf uh, for most of the time, and then had that nice interception on the pass to DK Metcalf uh, when he wasn't supposed to be covering. He, he peeled off in, into that zone to jump that pass. So I, I think this is going to be a, a real interesting game between two pretty fun teams that I think are starting to figure out who they are and what they do well. Um, so I, I think this is, this is a super fascinating matchup. And, and right now I'm looking at it at DraftKings. It's only a, a uh, two points, Arizona is the favorite at home. So I think that that's the interesting also. Yeah, and you've got two teams that are in top eight in neutral game pace. So um, mm. a lot of – there should be a lot of uh, plays. <laughs> Rich, Rich liked run. hearing that. <laughs> there should be a lot of plays being run here. I will say that you know, last week I was upset because – I, you know, so I had Arizona, and, um, you know, they were already thin at cornerback. Uh, coming into the game because Byron Murphy was uh, out with COVID. And then they, uh, Kevin Peterson, who was not a very good corner, but at least he, he had, you know, does have some experience. He got hurt during the game. So they were, they were going deep into their, um, their secondary uh, bench to, uh, to defend the the Miami uh, receivers. And it's not like the Miami receivers are are really deep uh, either, but you know, there were guys, you know, practice squad type guys that Arizona was using uh, at corner. So, they will get Byron Murphy back, which is huge because if Buffalo does spread, you know, they're going to probably want to spread you out and go four or five wide. 
um, and run these verticals, you're going to need as much depth as you, as you can get. I think Drake or Patrick who hasn't played well either, but again, he's a veteran. He knows what he's doing out there. He should be playing. He should be back as well. So I would tend to lean towards Arizona because um, I think they just got such an advantage. I mean, they're gonna be able to run the ball all over Buffalo. Um, and I mean, Kyler was awesome last week against uh, Miami running the, running the ball. I mean, there was that one play where it was like, I think it was fourth and one. And he just, it was, he came out of the corner and it was a one-on-one versus a Miami defender. And he just had it is zero shot at stopping him. And I don't know how you ever stop him. That's why that, Late in the game when Cliff ran that, it was a fourth and one. He ran it right up the middle with Chase Edmonds in a tight formation. It just made no sense. Like, just if all you do is just spread out the defense and have Kyler run, you know, a speed option, how are how in the world are you going to defend that? I, I don't see any way you can defend that. So, um, I think if they, they did it earlier in that drive on, yeah. on the same drive, and they it's had like, the had the conversion. Yeah, why are you running it up the middle with Chase Edmonds when you've got I think two tight ends in there? It just is stupid, but. Um, so I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be a lot of points, a ton of plays, and I'm sure Rich will hit on some, maybe some uh, good DFS plays. But um, uh, I, I would lean towards Arizona. I haven't bet this game at all yet. Um, I think it'll be a, one of the more fun games of the day, obviously. Um, but if Arizona – check again, check the injury reports. We'll have uh, information up on the site on, uh, you know, if uh, Patrick is playing and if, if um, uh, you know, they've got – you know, uh, making sure they have got enough corner cornerback depth to, to hang with some of these Bills receivers. But uh, really, really fun game. Interested to hear, Rich, what your thoughts are on Chase Edmonds because everyone was really touting him last week. I had him in DFS. You know, he was okay, I guess. Nothing – he didn't really jump out uh, off the screen in terms of production. But, um, you know, what did you see from him? Do you, do you have him – how do you have him ranked against this bad Buffalo run defense this week? Well, it depends. It looks like because Drake practiced yesterday, so we'll see. Oh, you know, if he's gonna yeah. if he's gonna be back or not. I mean, I still think the process was good. I mean, he played ninety six percent of snaps by far, the most of any running back, and he had twenty eight touches. I think when you, what was disappointing was they just used Edmonds like Drake, like they had used Drake up until that point of the season. Whereas Edmonds, you know, was is a lot better in space. He can do a lot more in the receiving game. They didn't do any of that stuff. They just threw him in Drake's role and that's how they used him. Like you said, battering him in between the tackles. They didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, you know, the way he was used and, you know, coming out of his, like, you know, his ancillary third down role. Uh, so that was a bummer. Like the usage was bummer, but the, the touches and the amount of opportunity was there. Uh, it was just kind of the way they used him. Uh, you know, before that play, I mean, Kyler misses that third down throw that I think that he probably will tell you he hits 90% of the time. Uh it, it, but uh, this, this, this past this past month, though, this offense and and I've talked about Kyler. You know, Dan is a, I've I've I called it the horizontal raid for a year and a half, and it's finally gotten away from that. It, it opened the season the first month of this year being that again. But now that Christian Kirk is healthy, uh, we've seen the shift, and and Kyler has been just so much better vertically. He actually leads the NFL in yards per completion over the past five weeks. Uh, and we've seen that just having a downfield target, what it's been able to do now for this offense and, you know, having Kirk healthy. I don't even know if that's still Kirk's best NFL role, but given the the way the Cardinals have a lot of their depth chart, you know, it just shook out that he is forced into that role. Um, I still think he's more of like a hybrid, a hybrid NFL player. But when you have Larry Fitzgerald and, you know, Andy Isabella just hasn't put it together. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson, like he, he's forced into that role and he's, he's done well. And the Bills are so bad against the deep pass. Uh, they're 30th in the NFL. In defending the deep ball and then Tredavious White didn't practice yesterday you know he picked up that ankle injury at the end of the Seahawks game and didn't practice yesterday so definitely keep an eye on that if he's not going to be available because obviously they're going to need him uh to, to pick up the pace against DeAndre Hopkins Xavier Howard did a pretty good job even the penalty yards he gave up you would say yeah we'll live with some pass interference penalties as long as you're not giving up you know huge touchdowns uh but if they have to roll uh in without Tredavious White and they haven't had Josh Norman for a couple weeks um their slot corner has been out I forgot his name's eluding me he's been out basically the whole year Levi uh, Wallace yeah the, the Levi Wallace yeah their, their back end has been really banged up and it's really struggled uh uh on vertically and that's kind of where we've gotten Arizona they've gotten away from the horizontal raid so uh I, I do like that matchup a lot uh I definitely like the points here uh maybe you just take the points and you just enjoy the shootout uh, but uh, Josh Allen also is another one of these guys that has been a little bit worse against the blitz than not. And Arizona blitzes at a high rate. Uh, they don't always get home for as much heat as they're sending, but uh, just something to keep in mind that Josh Allen has his, he does have a lot reduced, reduced numbers in terms of completion rate yards for pass attempt when teams do blitz. Um, 
just to keep in mind there. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is a fun game. Uh, keep an eye on the injury report, like you said, for the Arizona Cormacs, Tredavious White, Kenyon Drake, a lot of moving parts and potential to get uh, the snow globe shaken up here at the end of the week. But uh, definitely a fun game, uh, as well as the other, you know, NFC West team, you know, the Seahawks and Rams, uh, you know, who get we get a matchup. They've, they've played three of their past four games at 59 or more points. Every Seahawks game we talk about every week is a bonanza. Their games are averaging 65 combined points. Uh, that game's going to be another game that we look to. And I, cause this Rams team, I'm trying to figure out what they are because defensively they've been so good and they show up as a great pass defense. But then when you look at, they faced Josh Allen and got absolutely destroyed by Josh Allen and they faced Dak Prescott in week one, but they faced Daniel Jones, Kyle Allen and Alex Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Foles, two in his first start when he wasn't even pressed to do anything. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz, like they have not really played anybody or any team that really pushes the ball downfield except for Josh Allen and Josh Allen lit them up. So I'm really curious to see, you know, if Seattle can bounce back. McVay's had a bye. They're three and one in McVay's career out of a bye, three and one against the spread. So there's an advantage. Seattle is awful defensively. They got Carlos Dunlap and Jamal Adams on the field last week and uh, did, did do nothing. Nothing, nothing changed. Uh, and, and a guy like Jamal Adams looked lost on the field last week too, which was, you know, kind of scary. Uh, so, I mean, Seattle is just one of these teams until they can start like stopping anybody. Like how do you even not take a Seattle over at this point? I mean, how do you leave? What do the points have to be in these games? I mean, they're giving, I mean, you're talking about 65 points on average. The lowest I think that they've hailed is 54 against the Dolphins. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just every game they play is just a bonanza. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, how the Rams uh, approach this game offensively against that defense. Because we just talked about, you know, Buffalo went in saying, you know, we're just not going to run the ball because they can't stop the pass. But so much of, you know, the Rams offense is, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not a run first offense, but everything is tied to that running game. It's, it's the play action. That's what gets, you know, Jared Goff in. Uh, you know, in rhythm and, and they take a, a lot of those bootlegs, a lot of that jet motion. So everything is kind of tied to the running game. So they're not going to, you know, be doing what the Bills did and spread out, go, you know, 10 personnel or, you know, even um, uh, 11, uh, 11 uh, and, you know, just spread out wide and, and be throwing all the time. So I'm real interested to see how, how they game plan against that because I'll just, you know, running at all into uh, the, the Seahawks line, which, you know, they can defend the run. And I think Pete Carroll said uh, Damon Harrison might make a debut this week. He's been on the Seattle practice squad. Um, so uh, if you add that now to uh, the middle of that Seahawks uh, defensive line, uh, why you would run against them at all is is a complete mystery. So i uh, very interested to see how the Rams are going to be going against that and, and whether they, you know, try to have that run you know, through the jet motion and, and try to, and get that going instead of you know running up the middle uh so i think we'll have to see how how the rams do that and that's i think going to be um you know what what shapes how this game plays out if the rams are going to try to you know stick to their normal game plan i think we might see you know it, it's going to be a weird game uh it, it, even when the rams were bad rams seahawks games were were crazy and in close uh so i have no doubt in my mind it's going to be one of that those games uh no matter what but I think we'll see how many points the Rams can score if they do get to, you know, trying to push the ball down the field a little bit. Because, you know, yeah, the Seahawks just can't stop anything. Uh, and on the same side, you know, the other side of the ball, like you said, the, the Rams, uh, you know, moving Jalen Ramsey around a little bit. So I'm not sure if we'll see Jalen Ramsey against DK Metcalf, which we might have thought we would have seen uh, before the season. But we're kind of seeing, you know, Ramsey in that, you know, that nickel kind of, you know, Tyron Matthew all over the the place a role so uh, that's that's going to be really interesting to see but the, the Rams have been good I think their, their safeties have been good they've been one of the best uh, deep um, uh, deep defenses uh, in the league so I think that matches up you know pretty well uh, against Seattle but you can only match up so well when you know DK Metcalf is you know running down the field uh, there's only so many ways that you can stop this guy even even when he's covered uh, and then you you know still have to deal with Tyler Lockett so I think this is just a, a fascinating place between how these teams match up and I think it's again you know, going to be one of the more interesting games to watch this week. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, the one uh, spot, Rich, where you mentioned, um, you know, how do you not take the over? I mean, I will say Seattle's, what, 24th. They're, they're a pretty slow team in general. And, you know, we know that 
they've got a lot of their points on these deep shots that Russ has taken to uh, to Metcalf and David Moore and, and Tyler Lockett. And as Dan mentioned, I mean, the Rams are number one in the NFL in DVOA uh, deep uh, pass defense. So um, they've allowed the second uh, lowest percentage of explosive pass plays in the NFL. Um, yeah, look at their look at who they face, though. Yep. No, no. It's, <laughs> you're right. It's all it's always a function of your opponent, right? So yep. I, I haven't uh, broken it down. I mean, when when Josh Allen, I guess we'd have to look this up. You know, when Josh Allen uh, torched them, was it you know was it the deep ball or was it um, you know was he was he going shorter? I, I don't know. I, I haven't you know haven't um, you know looked at that. So you might be right. Maybe Seattle is the one team that kind of stresses that that defense out um but it'll, it should be fun I mean I think the one thing on the other side of the ball you know Jared Goff since the beginning of time I mean he struggles with pressure but when he's got a clean pocket I mean the guy's gonna pick you apart and um you know the Seahawks are not gonna pressure you 22nd in the NFL in pressure rate um and you know the Rams have faced a good bunch of uh, of, of past or of um, uh, pass rushes. You know, they they faced three pass rushes that are in the top ten in pressure rate. So they've gone up against you know some tough defenses already. So they're kind of used to that. Um, and having that bye week, I think, will help. I will say from a betting perspective, I want no part of this game. Seattle is just they're just so impossible to predict uh, in terms of how they're you know how they're going to perform. Like every time I think that I thought they were going to you know gash that Buffalo defense last week. And, you know, Russ was kind of terrible against that defense. And um, anytime you want to, you know, I was on San Francisco two weeks ago because I thought that they could, you know, put some points up against Seattle's defense and Garoppolo was terrible. So I, I can't predict this, uh, this game whatsoever or any Seattle games. So it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I'm not really interested in, in, in having a side here. <laughs> I think it'll be a close game. It's fun in division matchup. It's always fun having Aaron Donald chase Russell Wilson. So um, entertaining, but from a betting perspective, I would stay uh, far away from this matchup just because I think it's a coin flip game either way. Yeah. And I mean, we'll just, we'll see the NFC West games have been super fun this year because all of these teams are, are very close uh, in, in quality. Um, you know, the 49ers now without a quarterback or, you know, 19 <laughs> other players. Um, but I'm not sure how much that has mattered, but those have uh, routinely been, uh, I think the, the most fun games, even just games involving uh, NFC West teams have been uh, some of the most entertaining. Uh, so getting two of them in, in the same game is something we're going to watch. Um, let's hit, uh, I think one more game uh, before we get out of here. Uh, I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on the uh, the Sunday night game, uh, Baltimore and uh, New England. Uh, this is a game that usually is you know two of the best teams uh, in the AFC, and it uh, appears to be not that uh, anymore. You know, Baltimore is still going around, but this is still I think in two passing games that. Uh, generally uh, have been looked down on, but I think are, are slightly better than a lot of people have given them credit for. Um, I think you know, Lamar Jackson is doing somewhat what he can um, with the skill players uh, involved. And I think we're kind of seeing that uh, more often uh, throughout the season that there's just the, that lack of the outside guy or lack of even the inside dominant guy um, outside of Mark Andrews, who even hasn't been as dominant as he was uh, last year. I think we saw uh, this past week, we, we've seen some you know, uh, defensive players uh, or we, we've seen uh, some, the talk that, defenses are now you know they're not reacting to um you know a, a lot of the the misdirection and stuff that that happened uh in the beginning of the the indianapolis game last week um uh and it's kind of something we saw with like the, the sean McVay offense um you know late in that super bowl run where teams just weren't reacting to the jet motion anymore because that wasn't a threat uh so um, this year, uh, especially, the Rams have made that jet motion guy a, a threat, and they've been handing the ball off. They had Robert Woods on that long touchdown. I think Baltimore needs to get back to that a, a little bit. They're they're not defenses aren't reacting to that misdirection, so that's leaving so, some of that offense a, a little stale, and it's asking a lot of Lamar Jackson. Uh, and we're just seeing more guys just ready to you know get to him in the backfield before he can take out and you know when it's like third and long which the Ravens have seen a lot of this year which they didn't last year 
you know, teams are ready for the quarterback draw. They're, they're not drawn off by anything else that the Ravens are doing. Uh, so uh, they're, they're prepared for that. So Lamar Jackson has not been as, um, as effective there as he was last season. Uh, and I think when you look at the Patriots, they're, you know, super run heavy. Um, but I think they, they've been effective passing. I think I, uh, tweeted out yesterday that Cam Newton on passes 10 or more yards beyond the line of scrimmage has uh, the second highest on target rate. Uh, he's, I think, fourth in completion percentage. Uh, they just haven't really had the guys to be pushing the ball downfield, but I think we're seeing that a little more with Jacoby Myers, um, who you know, might be able to you know, beat that guy. Um, so I think we're, we're seeing two offenses that are still figuring themselves out, have two good quarterbacks who, who can be good and can have great games um, when they are put in position to have it. Um, and I think that the big difference here is, uh, you know, Baltimore's defense is going to be great. And the Patriots defense just has been not good. You know, all those losses are from some of the opt-outs and, and some of the losses from free agency uh, and some of the other guys, you know, JC Jackson, who has been one of the best cornerbacks uh, in the league uh, this year. And also, you know, still even after this Jets game, he got torched uh, in the Jets game a, a couple times uh, from Bashad Perriman, from I know, Denzel Mims. Um, so we'll see, but Baltimore doesn't really have the guy who's going to be able to do that unless it's Marquise Brown, but they've really kind of struggled um, getting into um, a rhythm, getting him targets downfield uh, that are hitting. So uh, we'll see. And I think Lamar Jackson's on target rate is much higher than his completion rate downfield. So maybe that hits eventually. Maybe this is the game that happens. Uh, so I'm interested to, to hear your guys' take on, uh, on what you're thinking of this game. Well, I'll tee this up for Rich because I know he, was he had some Lamar Jackson <laughs> numbers that were really interesting on uh, kind of early passes versus early throws. But this is just, I mean, would you have ever imagined that the P Patriots would be the 31st ranked DVOA defense? I mean, they're, they've been terrible and they've been terrible, ag uh, you know, against the run, their 30th, uh, or sorry, 31st against the run, 30th against the pass. Obviously, a terrible matchup when you're going up against uh, a Ravens run offense. And then defensively, the Ravens, we know they blitz a ton. And Cam's 28th in, uh, in QB rating against pressure. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how the Ravens don't blow New England out here, unless they just run it so much that they eat clock and they just can't score enough. But um, I mean, there's just there's so many opportunities for the Ravens to, to run the ball all over this defense. And you know, I'm not sure that the that the, um, the, the the Patriots have enough weapons on offense. I mean, Jacoby Myers has been great, but, I mean, that's not going to win you game. You can do that against the Jets, but that, that's not going to help you <laughs> win a ton of games against teams like the Ravens and defenses that are, uh, you know, as good as the Ravens. Um, so, uh, I don't know. To me, this is – if you want to – you know, I talked about the Chargers on a, money, on a um, teaser. I would tease down the Ravens here, to be honest with you. Tease them down to a point and uh, essentially just need them to win. I, I just be really hard for me to see them lose, lose this game against new England. And, you know, it's clear that the Patriots, all the, the defensive, you know, defections before the season. I mean, they lost so many guys going in Patrick Chung and um, you know, Hightower and all these guys, they lost Trey flowers and Van Noyda free agency. I mean, they just, and they didn't really replace them, you know, besides uh, the draft and, it's really coming back to bite him. And Gilmore hasn't been nearly as good as he was, you know, last year. So I'm just not sure how the, the Patriots compete here, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, I, I would look to the Ravens either on the money line or, you know, on a teaser with the Chargers here, if you're looking from a betting perspective. But, you know, Rich, I thought you had some really good numbers on Lamar, if you want to, you know, uh, point some of those out, because I think, uh, you know, they really talk about how, you know, just kind of types of plays being called early versus on first down uh, really uh, haven't, haven't been helpful to them. Well, I think Dan hit it on the head is that, you know, the Ravens had so much success with what they did last year that they've tried to go back to that. Well, probably a little, you know, a little too much this year and it's just not having the same impact, which is, which is what we should expect. I mean, we had a lot of conversations in the off season, you know, between Dan and Warren and like, you know, where do the Ravens regress? We knew they were going to regress anyways. Like there was just no way they were going to score on the same rate per drive and have this much efficiency as they had. But how much was the league going to figure them out? Then you compound things, you know, you lose Marshall Yonda. Now you've lost Ronnie Stanley. Lamar's getting pressured a lot more than he did last year. He's got a 9% sack rate, which is double what it was last year. Um, and then you aren't running the ball as effectively on first down, like which is what your bread and butter was last year. So you're putting a quarterback that is is better when it's non-obvious passing situations. And it's kind of been a Greg Roman staple, the kind of type of quarterbacks he's had. Um, and it's not that Lamar is a bad passer at any level. 
It's just that he's a lot more successful when he's not, when it's just not obvious passing downs. Uh, and that's kind of been the Ravens MO is if you put, if you get up on them and they have to throw repeatedly, that's where they struggle. And they're actually, the Ravens are self-inducing themselves on a, on a per drive basis on that level of putting Lamar in obvious passing situations because they're, they're bad at running on first downs. He is just 33% of his passes have come on first down passes. That's 33rd or 36 qualifying quarterbacks. And that'd be fine if you're running the ball like you were last year. Last year, they were running the ball for 5.1 yards per carry on first down. It was second in the league. This year, it's 3.9 yards per carry, which is 23rd in the league. So you're facing, you know, large second down, third down, down in distances. He is the most, the highest rate of pass attempts coming on second and third downs of seven or more yards needed in the NFL at 46%. And on those passes, he's just got 6.1 yards per attempt, 56% completion rate. But when you look at when he does throw on first down, he has an eight, eight point one, eight and a half yards per attempt. He's completed almost 70% of his passes. In terms of first down passes that generate a first down, he's at 40.9%, which is fifth in the NFL. Uh, so they're getting chunk plays when it's not as obvious, you know, when they, when, when you can be balanced and have the opportunity for defenses to respect the run, which hasn't been good, but the, they know that you're going to be run heavy. Uh, and then you kind of, you know, go against the grain and you throw, they've been effective on, on second and third downs of seven yards or more. He's his first down rate is just 23.7%. It's, it's gross. It's one of the worst in the league. He's just not the type of passer that is, it's going to excel throwing the ball in obvious passing downs and the way their scheme is generated with the types of players they have around him. You know, they basically have Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown who have been successful. Uh, you know, the Willie Sneeds of the world, Devin Duvernay not, it doesn't really have a, a complete role yet. Miles Boykin. Um, they just don't have the playmakers and for that scheme to succeed in that capacity. And that's kind of, kind of be until it happens to where they are a successful passing team when they have to pass, I mean, why would we believe it? Why would we believe it exists? And that's kind of the spot they're putting in. I think it's a great spot for them, though. I mean, you guys talked about the, the Patriots defense, their offensive line. We also have this history of, like, mobile quarterbacks versus Bill Belichick, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I think a lot of us were on the Ravens last year when they head into this matchup when the Patriots were undefeated at this time a year ago. And the Ravens were yet to be the kind of juggernaut they were and just just stopped, stopped the Patriots wasn't even a, a remotely close game. Uh, so we got the mobile quarterback narrative uh, in, in play as well there, but the Ravens definitely need to kind of find the, find their offensive identity here the, over this back half of the, of the season in having more balance and being more open to throwing the ball on early downs and not putting Lamar Jackson in these spots to where his passing acumen is a necessity uh, because, like I said, it just hasn't been uh, th to that degree yet. So, I mean, hopefully the Ravens kind of get it. They're a smart team. I, I think that they will. Generally, someone will look at this. I mean, they hired, like, a bunch of dudes from Twitter uh, and, you know, uh, the football uh, analytics community. So, I mean, hopefully someone else is looking at this because if I know it, someone else does. Someone uh, someone else knows it. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully we see that, you know, definitely play out to where the Ravens are a little more aggressive on early downs. Yeah, and I think how how they adjust is going to be you know, not just for this game, but what we see with them going forward and and into um, you know the the rest of the season. Because uh, when you look at you know the AFC, it's still probably you know them and the Chiefs. I think the the Chiefs we'll see is it's hard to put anyone in their tier right now because like we said last week, there's like even they had an off game for for most of the game. They had some things that it didn't go well against. Um, against Carolina, but they just, they have that switch they can put on where um, they just, they know they're going to be able to, to pull out games when they need to. And I think the Ravens kind of need that right now. So how they adjust and how they figure that out, like is really going to shape what we see in the AFC for uh, the rest of the season. I so, do like that QB, the QB motion play for the Chiefs ran. I was, I was thinking about you, Dan. I was looking for it. I was like, Dan's going to gift this play for sure. <laughs> I did. Um, I, did in I did in first and 10. Um, so yeah, it's wild. They're just like, it, it just kind of feels like they're, they're sitting around like, what crazy shit can we do? Um, that's going to like, there was no point in it. Like, no, I was thinking about it too. I was like, like, what, like, what did that, what did it, what did it even do? But it was fun as hell. Oh uh, yeah. I guess, I guess it caught, it caught, you know, 
the Carolina off guard a little bit, but like so would have the the, the normal bootleg with uh with the crosser coming over from the opposite side. So um I, yeah, it just like when when Kansas City is on that level right now, I think the the rest of uh, the NFL uh, should be very scared. So uh, unless you guys have um any thoughts on uh, Vikings and Bears, I think we can we can end the podcast here. No, I'll just I'll just hit on one more uh, bet that I made because uh, I've made uh, just a couple, but. Uh, I'll be on the Niners. I don't care if they're shorthanded. They are getting some guys back. Um, just kind of the quick, the quick and dirty synopsis here. Uh, just like I like playing good, good teams off a of bad performance like Tampa. I also like, you know, kind of fading. You got a collision course of the Niners looking awful on uh, Thursday night football with, you know, a uh, JV roster. And you've got the Saints just looking great last week. So I think there's a little, little inflation here on the line. You know, the Saints are good, but I'm not sure they're 10 points better than, than San Francisco right now. And, uh, you know, the Niners are getting back. Ayuk looks like, um, uh, you know, they'll uh, they'll have a little bit more Jordan Reed. I think he was, you know, on a short week last week. Was, um, and Trent Williams. I mean, the, yeah, and Trent Williams is back. You get played for Trent Williams on Thursday. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point, too. And so you get, you get those COVID guys back. And then you've got, you know, Richard Sherman is eligible to come off. I'm not sure who's going to play, but he, he he's at least – you know, has a shot to play. So they're, they're getting a little healthier. Um, and then look, the, the matchup wise, the Saints, you know, uh, we know that Drew Brees loves to go short. And that's the one thing the Niners do defensively is they struggle defensively uh, in the deep ball, but they're number two in the NFL in, in defending the short pass from a DVOA perspective, uh, kind of like they did against, you know, the matchup a few weeks ago with the Rams. Um, so I just think from that perspective that the, um, they're they're not 10 points worse, uh, especially when there's no home field advantage that we talked about here. Um, so I think it's just kind of a, an inflation spot. So uh, kind of a perfect storm. So I'll be on the Niners from a, uh, from a betting perspective, but really in general, I think this is a really tough week. So um, tread lightly. If you, if you can, don't, don't force a bunch of plays, but um, you know, I would say Tampa and, and, the, and the, the Niners are two, two of my straight up plays so far. And then, Ravens uh, teased teased down with the uh, with the Chargers up. I think are kind of the my core betting uh, uh, angles this week. All right, sounds good. And TA is going to be having uh, his written bet and preview uh, up on Sharp Football uh, Analysis this week. You can follow him on Twitter at CleveTA. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find his worksheet and all of the other uh, great fantasy work uh, he does at SharpFootballAnalysis.com. Remember, you can use the code SHARP25 for 25% off uh, all uh, weekly and monthly uh, subscription packages uh, through the end of the season. Uh, you can find me on on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. We'd like to thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.